0: Good morning. Welcome to ACF. Guys, thank you for that moment. I'll tell you what, uh, one of the things that we do as a culture is we move very quickly through grief, don't we? And uh, there's certainly been some grief as uh, we just kind of watch this broken world this week, and, and certainly grief for those of you I know in our church family um, who have lost loved ones uh, in the service of our country. And so uh, I want to just encourage you not to rush through that, but to just kind of allow God's present presence to be present in that grief and just kind of feel those emotions and feelings. It's a good thing, uh, I think, to just to kind of slow down and uh, and grieve over the loss that's in the world and and also just take hold of hope uh, that we have this Savior that's going to come and right every wrong that's in the world. And so I want to encourage you to do that here today. I really feel like as we grieve, when we grieve, um, we actually kind of touch the heart of God because God grieves. Uh, what's broken in the world. And so it's it's really kind of a, a thin space with God. We're, we're kind of heaven meets earth when we slow down and we grieve what's broken, but also take hold of hope in Jesus' name. And so if you're new today, uh, part of ACF, uh, we just want to say thank you for being here. We're really privileged that you are joining us here today. Uh, also really exciting today is Baptism Sunday, which we're really excited about. Yep. Uh, Our tradition as a church is that we just fill up the tank once a month and give you a chance to take your next step with Jesus, and we really believe that baptism is the first act of obedience for anybody who says, "I want to follow Jesus." And and uh, and, and maybe you're like, "Well, I did it thirty years ago." So, may, or I, I said I'd follow Jesus thirty years ago and haven't been baptized. Um, no shame, right? So, no shame. Don't. There is never a better time than the present to be obedient to God, right? And so, uh, if, if you're like, "Man, I should have done this years ago," or or maybe you were baptized as an infant and you want to make this decision for yourself here today, we encourage you to do that as well. And uh, right at the end of the message, you can go out to the lobby, and we have a team of people that will get you everything you need. From If you need shorts or t t-shirt or whatever it is, uh, we'll take care of you here today so that you can get baptized. But that's just coming at the end of uh, today. But we are starting a brand new series today called Hold Fast, and uh, we're actually walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're starting right at the beginning. Um, sometimes we will do a series that uh, is a little bit more thematic, and other times we'll walk directly through a book of the Bible, and that's what we're doing this summer. And it works really well for us, because I know y'all going hunting and fishing and camping this summer. And so for you to just kind of uh, follow along with the, uh, the, the this book of the Bible. It's just going to keep you engaged with what we're studying together as a church family. So I want to just start us off in verses 1 through 3. It says this. says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus in our brother Sosthenes, which I'm just going to vote more babies should be called, Sosthenes and you pregnant mamas, uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful greeting uh, from Paul to the church in Corinth as he begins to kind of, honestly, he's going to lay into them. So he starts off just like, hey, love you guys, blessings in the name of Jesus, and it's like, bam! So uh, he's going to get... Really intense with them, and and I, I mentioned we're calling this series "Hold Fast," and this idea of hold fast is kind of a nautical term, and and you may not know this, but there's two common symbols that the Christian Church has used over time to represent our faith, and and many people, when you think of a symbol of our faith, you think of the cross. But actually, uh, there's a symbol that predates the cross that a lot of people don't know existed for the church. And it was the symbol that represented what they believed. And it wasn't the cross. It was actually the symbol of the anchor. And the anchor represented this idea that we are anchored to Christ Jesus. He is what holds us fast. And and actually, in ancient Christian art, a lot of times there were anchors that were used, and and there were also ships that were used. And and the ship always represented the church. And the anchor was Christ, right? So the ship is the church, the anchor is Christ. And this idea of the ship is always kind of, it's being tossed around in, in, in stormy seas in the imagery of this ancient artwork. And this really is the case of the church today. As we look at the world around us, it, we're kind of being tossed to and fro, and yet we are anchored in Christ and able to stay faithful um, through these hard times because of Jesus, not because of how strong we are. And so really, through this series, the message is going to be like, hold on tight. Hold on tight. And really for you today, if you're not a Christian or not a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you, what are you holding on to? Because as we look at the world and we see how broken things are, I think all of us grasp for something. The question is, is that something worthy of your life? Is it worthy of, of you holding on to? And, and as as the church, we, we believe that Jesus is worthy. He is the one who we hold fast to in stormy seas. And so uh, what you're going to see throughout this uh, this series is that uh, Paul is dealing with some stormy seas for the church. The church is dealing with a lot of struggles culturally, uh, both outside and inside pressures that want to tear the church apart. And so is actually responding to the news that he's heard about this church that he planted in Corinth. And, and so uh, that, that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about. Also, on your seat somewhere, why don't you find your study guide? There's a little booklet um, on the seats here somewhere. And so once you grab that? That is something I want you to bring with you this summer, wherever you go, and so if you miss a week or whatever, uh, you can actually follow along with us there. Also, for you Sunday morning people, I want you to know we have church on Wednesday, so if you didn't know this, we actually do the same service on the Wednesday before. And so I've already preached this message. The band's already led worship in this worship set. And we we actually started this because we know a lot of people are gone on the weekends. And so if you're going to miss on the weekend, stay engaged by coming to church on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. I want to invite you to that as well. But just a bit of kind of an overview of Corinth. Where is this place? What's going on here? Uh, Paul is writing, this is about 54 a.d. that he's writing this letter. And uh, give us a map, if you would, of Corinth, and and here's kind of lower left. You're going to see a dot there of where Corinth exists on this map, and and what you're going to see is that it it exists right there where the land kind of gets really skinny, and so this is this is kind of a land bridge that Corinth is is at, and so uh, it's called an isthmus, right? And so it's this land bridge is about four miles wide where the city of Corinth was. Existing, it was kind of a tech capital. There was a lot of progress, a very progressive culture. Um, a lot of a lot of people moving in, a lot of money floating around through Corinth. Like this would be like where Jeff Bezos would set up his uh, HQ, right? Because there's just a lot of movement and a lot of energy in Corinth. Right? Sailors would even actually they would sail to Corinth, and they would uh, to save time they would pick up their boats and they would literally carry their boats across. This isthmus, this land bridge, to get to the other side, because as you can see, it would be months of travel to get to the same place, and so lots of movement, lots of travelers in Corinth. So imagine a city that is just nothing but people coming and going, nothing but people kind of traveling for work. They're away from home, they're away from their routines, and and many of you know kind of the things that tend to happen on trips, right? Like, like people a lot of times fall into some unhealthy habits when they're away from home, they're traveling uh, for work or whatever it may be. And so this city is sort of like that, lots of coming and going. And uh, in fact, this last summer, my family, we actually went down to Valdez for the first time and, and got to kind of see that place, which I'll tell you, if you have not been to Valdez, it's one of the most beautiful places in the state of Alaska. It's amazing. And we went down there, we're hearing all about the gold rush and, and people coming and going through Valdez. And and I really feel like as I, as I think of Corinth, I, I think of a city like during the gold rush, like Valdez, where people were just coming from all over the world through this place. And as they described uh, the gold rush and what happened there, they described uh, some, some pretty broken things that were going on there, right? I mean, I mean, lots of prostitution and sexual depravity and substance abuse as, as people are coming and going. And, and this really is what's happening in Corinth. And also, beyond that stuff, there's this kind of the spiritual aspect, Because uh, they they were spiritual people looking for spiritual answers. And so in the middle of Corinth was this place called the Acropolis. And the Acropolis is, uh, it literally means high city. Uh, It it actually refers to this temple that was elevated in the city of Corinth. And it was a temple to the goddess goddess Aphrodite. Which uh, she is, if you didn't know this, she's the goddess of love. And so they would worship Aphrodite at this temple... And uh, when you think of the goddess of love, uh, you might think of something cute like, be my valentine, do you like me, check yes or no, kind of cute love, but this is not cute love that they were celebrating. This was like raunchy, dirty, weekend at Vegas, strip clubs, prostitutes, sleeping with your mother-in-law kind of love, which I'm not making that up. Keep reading the book of 1 Corinthians. It is broken, lots of terrible things going on in worship to the goddess Aphrodite. In fact, history says there are about a thousand temple prostitutes that worked the outer gates of the temple where people would come and sleep with a prostitute to worship Aphrodite. So this is the culture that Paul's like, hey, let's plant a church right there. That's where the church needs to be, which I love that. Isn't that, isn't that true, right? Like, like where the world is broken, that's where the church needs to be. In fact, the people that lived in Corinth were, were so broken— and they were known far and wide for being the most depraved people. That the, the biggest insult in their day you could give somebody is if you were to call them a Corinthian. It'd be like, like, if you know, I don't know what the language is today. Britt, you might have to help me out with this. But like if, it, if like a guy or girl's kind of sleeping around, right? Like there's, there's language for that. The language of their culture was like, oh, she's a Corinthian girl. Oh, he's a Corinthian guy. Like, even if they weren't, that was a slam of like the way that they were living. Their lives. And so lots of darkness, lots of need for Jesus, and so much need for the church to be the church. So much need for the people of God to actually follow faithfully. And yet the truth is, many of them weren't. You see, a lot of this stuff was working its way into the church, and the church was becoming more like the world. And you might want to write this down. I believe that either the church changes the world or the world changes the church. There's no in-between. We don't just kind of sit stagnant. Either we are changing the culture or the culture is changing us. My youth pastor in high school used to tell me, you are the average of your ten closest friends. And I think that's still true as an adult, right? The the people that we're around, we surround ourselves with, we start to kind of become like them or they become like us. And yet we also know that by the strength of Jesus in our lives, there is a way to be a friend of sinners without falling into sin. Because that's what Jesus did, right? And he models this lifestyle that we're to be a friend to sinners, yet not fall into sin. And yet that is the struggle of their church. And that can be the struggle of any church, including ours. And so as I read 1 Corinthians, I'm like, man, this is like he wrote this to the church in 2022. And you might be thinking, man, a, a book study, First Corinthians, this sounds boring, irrelevant. Like, uh, let's just do, just tell me how to fix my marriage or, you know, how to have more fun in life. But I'll tell you, um, let's just look at the list of the things that are in 1 Corinthians, and you can tell me if these things are relevant or not. Here's some things that Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with divisions within the church. So glad the church is not divided today. He's dealing with gender confusion. So glad there's no confusion about gender in the world today. He's dealing with sexual perversion, misunderstanding of what tolerance is. He, he's dealing with a cheapening of grace. What does it mean to have grace and yet not to cheapen it? He's dealing with skepticism and cynicism. None of y'all are skeptics or cynics, I'm, I'm sure, right, in the church today. He's dealing with getting drunk with communion, which we have not dealt with yet at ACF. <laughs> but just because y'all are sketchy, we actually use grapefruit juice or whatever, like grape juice. Because I've got to watch out for some of you guys. We haven't dealt with that yet, but who knows? It could happen. He's dealing with church burnout you ever been burned out? It's like, man, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm just tired of doing church stuff or being, even being a Christian. Some of you felt that way before. He's dealing with division over different preachers, right? They're just divided over, like, who they're actually listening to. And some of you are like, now, again, these are things that are, that are, that are working their way into the church. These are things that people are dealing with. And, and I think one of the things that the church deals with today, as much as they did, is this idea of hypocrisy. And one of the biggest criticisms people uh, throw at the church is that the church is full of hypocrites, right? But I think oftentimes the reality is we don't know what hip- hypocrisy actually is. We, we just call people hypocrites, we don't know what it actually is. Like, what is a hypocrite? Well, a hypocrite, what they do is they claim their own perfection, but they don't actually live that way. They claim their own perfection, but they don't live perfection, and so a hypocrite is somebody who's like, man, look how good my life is, and yet you know that that life is not actually as good as they make it out to be. That's a hypocrite. Here's what a hypocrite is not. A hypocrite is not someone who struggles with sin. A hypocrite is not somebody who's like, no, I know that I've got problems. Here's the difference. A hypocrite claims their own perfection, but a follower of Jesus claims the perfection of Christ. That's the difference. It's a big difference, and so you can be here And you can struggle with with, with your faith and be honest about it, and that does not make you a hypocrite. In fact, I hope that you're here struggling with your faith. I actually hope that we have people in ACF Church that are really struggling to follow Jesus. And that might sound really, really strange, but here's the truth. In the end, a church without problems is a church that is dying because that's a church that's not on mission. You see, if we don't have any problems, then we're not reaching the world. If we don't have any problems, then we're not reaching our friends. If we don't have any problems, we don't have people here who are still trying to dip their toes in Christianity and try to figure out what they believe, right? A church without problems is a church that's dying because it's not a church on mission. Because here's the truth, and some of you get uncomfortable with this depending on your church background, but here's the deal. If you want to reach sinners, if you want to reach people, we're all sinners, but if you want to reach people who are non-Christians or who are living apart from Christ, then you have to give them a seat at the table. And if you give people who are not following Jesus faithfully a seat at the table, you're going to end up with a table full of non-followers, right? Full, full of sinners. And that's, that's the truth, is that that really is who we are as a church family, is that we're all, we're all sinners. We're all struggling with following Jesus, and yet we all have a seat at the table. And I love it. I love the, the blend of people from our church family. Um, I, I can't, this just popped in my mind. Uh, a few years ago, I walked out of these doors after my sermon, and sometimes people give me feedback, and this guy comes up to me, and he's kind of like heading out the door, and uh, he's like, oh, pastor, pastor. He, he goes, he goes, man, that was one effing awesome talk, man. I'm like, thanks, bro, and he's like, oh, it's really good. And he heads out the door, and I was like, wow, that was, that was interesting, but I, but I love, he didn't say effing, by the way. Uh, I, I love that He didn't know what to call it, he didn't know what I did, he just knew that like there was something powerful about it, he was heading out the door, and I'm like, I want more like effing powerful talk people at church, right? Like that's that's what we're and some of you are like, I'm not comfortable with that, right? I don't I don't like that. But here's the truth, is that sometimes what you call profane, God might call progress. Aren't you glad that people are in the church that are struggling, that are trying to figure life out, that might not have some things figured out that you have figured out. Aren't you glad that they're here? Like, where else should they be? And where did you begin, right? And again, like, none of us are squeaky clean, I promise you. Like, some of us have just learned how to hide it better as we've stayed in the church for a little while. None of us are squeaky clean. We all struggle with different things. We have people in our church uh, who are part of the LGBTQ community. And this is such a hot topic in the church. And it's something I, wanna, I just feel like I want to talk about for a second because it's something that I think people misunderstand in so many different ways. Is that we have people who are part of the LGBT community, part of our church. Some of you are part of that community. They, they come here to our gatherings. And, and my friends that are in that community, as I talk to them, I learn a lot about why they come to ACF. And this is really interesting. And you guys look really un- uncomfortable, by the way. It's, it's good. This is a good conversation. When I talk to them, here's what I found out. Is that when Christians think of the LGBTQ community and they think they don't come to church... What you think of is like, well, they don't come to church because we have a different view on sexuality and gender than they do. And so because we have disagreement or differences, then they don't want to come to church. But here's what I found, is that everybody's looking for the truth, and that Jesus is the truth. And that no matter what your background is, we all are are people who are looking for the truth, and we can find that truth in Jesus, and so we think, oh, we have a disagreement, and so that community doesn't want to be in church. But here's what I found for my friends that are, that are coming to our gatherings, is that that's not the reason many times people in that community don't want to come to church. The reason people in that community don't want to come to church is that churches say, come as you are. We're an accepting church. We love you, except for that, or except for this. And so they say, come as you are. And then when they show up and they hang out with people and then like people find out, oh, you might see things different than, than I do, all of a sudden they don't get invited back to small group or they don't get invited out to lunch. And, and you can feel that tension. And it's not just that issue. It's a lot of different issues where you show up to church and you're like, I think I'm different. I think I feel out of place. And when people kind of find that out, you go, okay, I don't know that you actually love me. I don't know that you actually accept me. And, and so here's what you need to know about ACF is that, and this is important for you to get this, this is huge in the, in the world today, is that acceptance is not the same as affirmation, okay? So we as a church family, like, we hold to a traditional biblical view of human sexuality and gender. And yet, we love people from the LGBTQ community. And why do we love them? Because Jesus loves them, right? What, what do they call Jesus? Jesus is a friend of all people, Right? right? Everybody, sinners and saints, are friends to Jesus. Who did Jesus eat with? Tax collectors, prostitutes, right? Like everybody who the world would sometimes push aside Jesus was like, those are, those are people I want to hang out with, right? And I think actually acceptance is a low bar because when Jesus was nailed down, they were asking Jesus, hey, what's the greatest law? He didn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and accept your neighbor as yourself. He said to love your neighbor, right? So acceptance is a low bar, uh, but what we want to do is be a loving church, and so the people that are part of the LGBTQ community that come to ACF, they come because you guys love them, because they're part of this, th- th- this place, and, and we come together. We try to figure out what the truth is together. And so I want to really challenge you here today is that you don't actually have to deny the truth to accept someone. You might be, in fact, displaying the truth by accepting them. And again, in that journey, you can, you can then be with them and grow with them. And that's, that's the important thing. But far, for far too long, the church thinks that acceptance and affirmation are the same thing. And here's, here's what you need to know. I'm so glad that God doesn't have to affirm everything I do to accept me. Come on. Like, how about you? Uh, aren't you glad that God doesn't have to affirm everything you do to accept you? Right? Trust me, he's not behind everything you do with your finances. Trust, trust me, he's not behind everything you do sexually. He's not behind every decision you make, everything, every thought in your mind. He's not behind it, yet he accepts you because you desire to surrender to him. And so that's the challenge for everybody, whether you, I don't know what your, what your sexual preference is, but the call is holiness. That's what God calls us to. And so the journey that we're all on is to go, what does God's word say? Let's submit to that and move forward together, amen? All right, some of y'all getting it. All right, so this, I, that's just a tangent. I don't know why I went there, but here, here it is. Back to the sermon. Back to the sermon. Uh, I think, and this is important, one of the themes we're going to cover for the next few weeks is the power of God in the church. I think a lot of people are looking at the church and they're like, where's the power in the church? Like, why do I want to be a part of something that lacks power? I don't know if you know this, but churches are not doing well, um, on a, on a, especially nationwide right now. They're just not doing well. Only 5% of churches in the U.S. are actually at or above their pre-COVID attendance. Most others are, you know, half their pre-COVID attendance, and, and many are shrinking. Pastors are quitting like crazy, y'all. Like, like a lot of my friends are just, just bound out of ministry because COVID has just been so hard. It's like, so now it's like been two years. For a lot of people, are like, we're just coming out of this thing. And there's a lot of people that are like, and I'm done. I'm done. And There's a lot of pastors that are de-churched at this point, Right? They spent their career building the church, and now they're like, I don't think I want to be a part of it. And they're really struggling, and so the church is really struggling in so many ways. But I think at the root of this is that many people are looking, at, looking back in at the church, and they're asking, where's the power? Like, where is the power? And what Paul is going to deal with in this first section of 1 Corinthians, I think, is bringing power back into the church. Like, there really is a theme, is that this is like a powerless church. The, for, the Corinthian church is a powerless church. As they live like the culture, as they look just like the world around them, it is a church without power. In fact, uh, earlier this week, Pastor Stewart he was down on, uh, in Muldoon at Takotnu, and he calls me up. He's like, Brian, he's got this uh, diesel power stroke excursion thing, and uh, he's like, I tried to leave the parking lot. It would only do 10 miles an hour. He's like, can you come help me? And so I went drove down there to to Takatnu, and uh, we worked on it for a little bit. bit. It was a fuel filter, by the way, if you you need some help with that. It's a fuel filter. We fixed it, got it, got it running, but he knew when he left the parking lot, he was like, he told me, he's like, "I, I just, it wouldn't go over 10 miles an hour. It just felt powerless, and what he knew to do was turn around and go back and fix the problem. In fact, one of the terms that he used was like, it's like, it's gutless. It's like, my truck is gutless. It's got nothing, and he knew, like, that means there's a problem. we got to fix the problem. Here's the issue with the church today, is that we, go, we just go on with no power. In many ways, the church today, a great word to describe this would be that we're gutless. We've gotten the no power. And so we just, go, we just keep going, right? We just keep acting like there's not a problem, right? Ten miles an hour on the Glen Highway. No problem, right? And the world's looking in, and they're like, I don't want to ride in that car, right? Like, I don't want anything to do with that. And so there's a problem at the root of the church, and I believe that in many ways, their problem is our problem, and the problem is this, unity. Unity. The problem is that there is disunity in the church, but unity is where the power is at. You can write this down. A church has power to the degree that it is unified. To whatever degree we as ACF Church can come together and go somewhere together, that that same degree is the power, I believe, that we will be Uh, displaying to the world around us. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Division. This word division in this text is uh, the word schismata. It's where we get the word schism. Uh, And it's this idea of like a fracture in a people or in a culture. And Paul says, hey, no fractures. No infighting. No division in the church. Why? why? Why is this such a big deal? I think it's really simple. Because division makes the church irrelevant to the world. Because the world's like, I can find that anywhere. I can flip on the news and find division any day. I can go to school and find division any day. I can go to work and find division any day. So the church, once again, has power to the degree that it is unified. Unified. He says, I want unity. Now, what does this actually mean? Because I think if you're from a church background, you're like, yes, yay, unity, that sounds good. But I I don't know if that word means what you think it means. I I don't know if you've actually thought a whole lot about what it means to be unified, because there's a cost to unity, isn't there? Like, you don't always get your way when there's unity. And then there's work that must be done for unity, which I'll tell you guys, y'all did some work last week for unity. Um, Yeah, yeah, we can celebrate what God did last week. Some of you guys are like, what did you do? I don't know. Um, last week, if you don't know, was our first Impact Alaska. So for 10 years, we have done something called Impact Eagle River, where we've gone out and served our community in the name of Jesus, and done all kinds of projects on a Sunday morning. And so this year, we said, what if we started inviting some other churches to do this together? And, and you might think, well, yeah, obviously, but that's not as simple as you might think. I don't know if you know this, but churches are pretty divided. Churches tend to be pretty skeptical of one another, right? Uh, maybe they might see things different. So they just kind of tend to keep their distance. And we're like, well, what if we just kind of reached out? And so we called a bunch of churches and pastors that uh, we knew and said, hey, what, what, if, what if we did this together? And so we had 14 other churches join with us, serve all around the state of Alaska. And here, this is so exciting, we saw 2,357 people serve together in the name of Jesus. Yeah. It's so good. And, and uh, again, like, and you guys, ACF, you guys showed up, by the way. Like, we, we kind of put down the gauntlet and we're like, hey, Listen, every year, ACF, our attendance kind of cuts in half at Impact Alaska or Impact Eagle River. And this year, you guys blew it out of the water. More of you served than ever in the history of our church. And so I'm just, like, super proud of ACF. I know some of you are uncomfortable and just different than your normal thing. But it was amazing. And, and I was just praying for the other pastors. I was praying first that this, was, this would be a unifying event, that they wouldn't get down and be like, we're never partnering with ACF again. That was terrible, Right. That it would be an, an enjoyable thing. Here's what was, re- was really cool, is that afternoon, on Sunday afternoon, my phone started blowing up with texts from other pastors who were like, we're so in for next year. Like, let's do this again. Let's do it bigger next year. Let, let's just take it to the next level next year. And so I just love that. It was just a great experience. And, and, and for you who are part of ACF and have been for a while, you're like, oh yeah, that's not a big deal. But I want you to think about what these other churches had to like put themselves out there to do this. I mean, think about it. For, for a Sunday, they chose to to cancel their normal church services, which for people who have never done that is a little shocking, right? This idea that instead of worshiping in this room, we would go worship in our community, like that can be hard for people to swallow. So I guarantee you some of those pastors and leaders took some hits this week. They didn't take an offering, right? No offer, although I think Pastor Jonathan was like passing a plate out of the projects. That's, I'm just kidding, he texted me that, it was funny. Um, no offering, right? No offering for a Sunday, like that. there's a cost to that. They spent church funds on all of these different things. Some churches have never gone out and spent church funds to go and, and and meet needs in the community, and so I want you to know, like, this is a huge deal that the church in Alaska, like, God is God's starting a fire right now, and I'm just praying for more of it because this is where the power is coming from, right? This, like, and, and I love the conversations I'm hearing about from you guys around the water cooler on Monday, like, people going, like, Did you hear what happened? And man, did you get your oil changed at that church? Or, did you see that that gas that was a dollar off a gallon and, and there's just these great conversations that are happening. Why? Because the church came together. Because the church came together. I heard many people who were like, oh, I know ACF does this, but this was a lot of different churches together. I'm just telling you, our city's never seen that. And they need to see more of that because that's where the power of God is seen. 1 Corinthians 1 13 or 12, it starts off, it says this. Paul says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul's kind of ticked off, by the way. He's like, I don't like this division stuff. He goes, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Except Crispus and Gaius, right? <laughs> and they're both like, it was me. And uh so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. He's like, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you jerks, right? You guys are just being mean to one another. And uh, I, don't want, I don't want to be a dividing factor for your faith. You're going like, I was baptized by Paul. See how awesome I am? This is what's going on in their church. And I want you to write this down. Is that we place our preferences aside for the sake of unity. That's what we want to do as a church family is put our preferences aside for the sake of unity. Kind of the backstory here is that in uh, Greco-Roman culture, one of the things that they would do a lot of times as a form of entertainment was that someone would get up, and they would sort of spit out uh, philosophy and rhetoric, and then people would sit and listen to it and and watch this person, and this was entertainment for their day. It was kind of this public forum, and they would just come and watch this stuff happen, and this person that would get up and speak was called a sophist. A sophist, that's where we get the word Sophisticated. And they would get up, and they would spout all this sophisticated-sounding stuff, and people would listen to that person, and then they would develop favorites, like, 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 who's your favorite sophist? Who's your favorite speaker? And then they would start to divide over their preferences, and so then Paul comes along, and these other church leaders come along, and they get lumped in as just another speaker, just another sophist or philosopher, and the people are then dividing over their favorite speaker. This is literally what's literally going on in the church. And so, I mean, I want you to think about, like, your friends that have different favorite uh, either philosophers or teachers or newscasters. It'd be like somebody going, like, I follow Bill O'Reilly, or I follow Anderson Cooper, or I follow Joe Rogan. And then, and then like, you start mixing in some church leaders, and it's like, oh, I follow uh, Francis Chan, or I follow John MacArthur, or I follow Lisa Turkhurst, or whoever it is. And these, these, these famous leaders start dividing the people in the church, lacks power. Why? Because they lack unity. And again, I want you to think about kind of how you come to church. I want to think about your, your preferences in the church, whether it be about a speaker, about anything else. Do you allow your preferences to divide you? Do you allow your preferences to divide the church? Do you leverage your preferences to tear people apart or to bring them together? What we do as a church family is we put our preferences to the side for the sake of unity. I want you to think about how you even show up to church. I mean, do you show up as somebody who's just sort of consuming content or as part of the body? And here's how you know. Like, you will know whether you're that person who's just consuming content or you're part of the body based on the conversation that happens in the car after church. So think about what happens in the car after church. Think about the conversation. Is it a little bit like you just went to a movie? Like, do you get in the car and you're like, hey, what was your favorite part? Like, like, like which line did you like the most? Did you write one down? You know? Like, like, like uh, uh, how'd you like the plot line? How'd you, who's your favorite character? Was it Mason, you know? Was it Rebecca? Was it Brian? Like, who's your favorite character, you know? Like, is it all comments on, like, what was your favorite part versus, like, what did you give to the Lord today? How did you sacrifice yourself for the sake of others today? Who did you meet and show the love of God to today? So, again, if you show up as a consumer, I promise you, you will divide. That's, that's what consumers do. Is, is, is we don't actually participate in making something better. We just complain, right? Like let's say you go down to Red Robin and you order the Whiskey River barbecue burger. That's my favorite. And you go down, some of those French fries and the campfire sauce. Oh, I love the campfire sauce. So, they, so you order some of that. Let's say the fries come out cold and the burger's, you know, like way overdone. I bet, I bet none of us would just be like, hey, could I go back and help the cook for a minute, and maybe let's get up and help the waiters and waitresses kind of deliver food so the things can get here a little quicker. Like, we don't stand up and go, how can I make it better? We just go, hey, fix my burger. This is not what I prefer. And this is how we can be with the church. We go, this is not what I prefer, fix my burger, instead of being part of the solution, right? So we want to be people who show up to serve and show up to be unifying factors in the church. And I think a lot of times why Christians don't fight for unity is they don't really understand what it means. Like, they don't really understand what unity is. And so here's what unity is not. Unity is not a lack of conviction. I'm not telling you not to be convicted. I'm not telling you not to have preferences. We all have preferences. I do. Unity is not pandering. Just, you know, like giving everybody what they want so that we can work together. How many of y'all know that does not bring people together? Unity is not indifference. doesn't mean you can't care about anything. You should care about things. Unity is not ignoring sin. Right? If you stick around here long, I will step on your toes because I'm going to speak the Bible and the Bible will step on your toes and trigger you. And so, like, it, it, it is not something that will ignore sin. Uh, unity is not avoiding disagreement. Again, once again, we, we, if we're going to be an effective church, uh, we're going to disagree about things because we're going to have people from lots of different backgrounds coming together under the name of Jesus. But here's what unity is. Unity is conviction with love. I'm convicted about things, but man, I love people and I love the Lord. So I have, I have deep thoughts and deep convictions about certain issues, but man, I love people. So I'm going try to try to figure out what it means to love them with these convictions. Unity is forbearance, right? Just to bear with one another, right? You ever said that? Just, can you bear with me? Can, can you just bear with me a little bit? That's what we do to unify. Unity is flexibility, right? Oh, this isn't what I thought. Uh, this service didn't flow the way I thought it was going to flow or my life isn't going as I thought it was going to or you know a small group feels a little different than I'm used to but we're flexible because we're trying to be people of unity. Unity is choosing your battles. How many of you married people know you got to choose your battles, right? Like you can't fight about everything you'd be be doing nothing but fighting. You got to choose what's most important. There, There are primary and secondary issues, and and we we can't get into it, but there are the same in the church. There are primary issues and secondary issues. Unity is compassionate debate. I love a good debate, you guys. I love sitting down with my friends and being like, oh man, we see this so different. Let's talk about it. I I love it when people come to me and go, man, I I don't know if I uh, was with you on that topic or this issue. Great, let's talk about that issue. Like, you don't have to go, then I'm out then I'm out. No, no, no. That's, that's, you're you're part of the problem. That's exactly what's going on is, oh, I disagree. I'm out. Let's have some compassionate debate on these secondary things, right? Paul continues on, verse 20. He says, where is the one who is wise? In other words, he's like, y'all are being dumb because you're disunified. Disunity is dumb. There's my sermon point. That's the end. Disunity is dumb. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you look a little foolish, you might just be faithful. Something about the gospel and what we're trying to do here is foolishness in the eyes of the world. You see, for the Jews in his day, the Jews, what they wanted was just another sign from God. God, just give me another miracle. If you just give me another miracle, then I'll, then I'll follow you. Then I'll believe. And some of you guys are here today, and that's you. You're just going, God, give me another miracle. Here's what I'm going to tell you, is that if it's all about the miracles, you will always need another miracle. The next miracle is never enough for us to believe. Like, like God, God, God can't do enough miracles for us to, to, to just believe. That's not it. And the Greeks in their day, they just wanted God to make sense. They wanted God to be logical. They wanted to figure God out, and they thought, well, if we can just figure God out, then my faith will be easy here's the deal. God is not your puppet, and he's going to rarely make sense. So at the root of, of what we're trying to do here today is not just making it make sense or getting a sign from God. At the root of all of this, the only way for you to step forward today is something we call faith. That's the part that you can never remove from the equation. Some of you today, you study things like apologetics, which I'm behind. Apologetics is just kind of the defense of the faith, but I just, here's what I know, is that if the Spirit has not got someone ready to believe that they will not believe no matter how much you try to defend Christianity to them. And if you're like, oh, it's just, it God, if you would heal them, then they, they would believe. But I just promise you, if the Spirit does not have their heart ready to believe, they're not ready to have faith in God, they will blame that miracle on something else. You know, so there's something else provided that. It wasn't God. It really does come down to faith. And so the question for you today is, do you have enough faith to be unified? Do you have enough faith to step forward? And and, and he says, like, it's going to look foolish to the world. And here's what you need to know. Last week when we were serving together is that people did not know what we were doing. We got these questions all the time. You're buying my gas? Like, why would you do that? It sounds foolish. You guys canceled your church meeting thing that you guys do at ACF every week to come out and serve me? That sounds foolish. You don't even know me. You see, at the root of the gospel is something that looks really foolish. And I want you to think about that. Like, the idea that God would die for sinful humanity, that sounds foolish. But here's the deal. What sounds foolish is often actually love. It's love. And at the root of the gospel, if you're not ready to receive it, you won't receive it because it sounds foolish. Think about what you believe if you're a Christian. You believe that a homeless first century Jewish rabbi who told everybody he was God which made him an enemy of the state and led him to execution on a cross was actually the savior of the universe. Can we admit that sounds a little crazy? I mean, if you're, if you're in the church for a long time and you're just used to those things, but man, there's a foolishness of this and Paul is like, hey, God, God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise, show them what is actually true. He chose what is foolish. And so I want you to think about that. If you're not willing to look a little foolish, then you might not be faithful to God. Like if your life, the way you talk, the way you raise your kids, the way you plan your life, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way you love others doesn't look foolish to the world. I just want to tell you, you're probably not making much of a difference. But when your life starts to look foolish, when your life stops making sense to the world around you is the beginning of you actually making a difference in people's lives. It's the beginning of the church starting to be unified and the church going on mission and changing the world. I want you to grab your action card, if you would. Pick up this sheet. This is uh, something we do as a tradition here at our church. It's just a way to take a step forward and just kind of tear this bottom part off. It's perforated. It's kind of fun sounding. And this is just a way for us to follow up with you. We're going to text you once this week. If you'd fill this out. And, uh, and just kind of let you know we're praying for you as you're moving forward in your faith. And maybe your first step today is to begin a relationship with Jesus. Here's what you need to know is that God loves you so much. He really does. And that he loves you so much, he, he, he didn't just stand at a distance. He actually came to earth in the form of a man and lived the life that you could never live and that you will never live so that he might die on a cross for you is a payment for your sins and mine. And he loves you so much. He wants you in the family, right as you are, not get yourself fixed together, make sure that you see all things the way that maybe Jesus sees it or Christian sees things. No, no, like, he just wants you to have faith that he's enough and he's gonna gonna work on your soul for the rest of your life. You got plenty of time. It just starts with faith. And so maybe that's you today. You want to take that step to follow Jesus. I want you to know there's room for everyone at the table, including you. So if you check that box, we want to text you some uh, some resources this week on how to move forward in your faith. Maybe today you're going to make a commitment to work through the whole fast study guide. Um, I'm not going to do a raise of hands, but I don't know how many of you in the room actually read your Bible regularly. By regular, I mean at least like daily or, you know, three or four times a week. And if you're like, yeah, I read it when you read it to me, Brian, then you've got some work to do. And, and we gave you a resource in your seat, and maybe you're just going to make a commitment To working through the study guide. We'd love to be praying for you, that you could be disciplined about that. Maybe you need to confess being divided over preference. Have you taken a secondary issue and made it a primary issue? Caused division in your friendships or in the church where where you just didn't need to make that such a big deal? And uh, and maybe you just need to confess that to the Lord today and say, God, forgive me um, for making this about me and living just like the world lives. And maybe today you just need to get baptized. Maybe this is your next step. I want to encourage you, if you're here and you've never been baptized, today's your day. We've got everything you need. Again, there's no better day than today to be obedient to the Lord. It's our first step of of obedience and we have everything you need um, out there in the lobby to get baptized. And so I want to encourage you as we pray and uh, just start singing, you can just walk out these doors and we'll get you checked in. We'd love to help you take that next step of faith. Would you stand up? And I'll pray for us today. Father, thank you so much. And we just want to confess today, God, that in big and small ways, we are all part of the problem. So, God, we ask your forgiveness for the times that we have contributed to disunity in your body. God, we know that um, not only does that not speak well about us, but more importantly, it doesn't speak well about you. You are not divided, you are not confused. You're not fighting within yourself. You're a God of peace. So God, I pray that we would look different from the culture around us. When they look in at ACF Church, that they would see a culture of peace. They'd see a culture of unity. God, where we haven't given up the truth, but we have also not sacrificed love. May we be just like Jesus, holding both together 100% truth and 100% love at all times. God, unify our church, send us out on mission to the world to show that kind of love to the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, the people that we live next door to. God, I pray that we'd be missionaries. We'd think that way every single day. God, may our lives look foolish to the world, that that they would see this, this craziness, this love that you have for us, that they'd see this lavish grace that you want to pour out on them by the way that we live different. God, I want to pray for the man or woman in this room who just needs to get baptized, that you'd give them the courage and the grace to do that here today. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.